You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Crippled Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your disabled Dick Smith, Andrew Gerza, and I'm here to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you today. So let us get started. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, whatever that means for you, and let's get the show. I already said let's get started, but let's begin. Maybe? Okay, let's do that. It is the start of summer here when I'm recording this one, and I am fucking hot. It is like, I do not have air conditioning in my place, or it hasn't been turned on just yet, so like, sitting in my black wheelchair being super hot. I really wish they had wheelchairs that were like, suited for hot weather. Like, why can't we have like, white, satin, cool wheelchair seating covering? But no, I'm sitting in my house boiling right now, and it's super fun. Just a quick reminder that if you have anything you want to share on the show, a story, an anecdote, something you want to tell me about, send an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I check the inbox personally, and I'd love to get more of these. I'd love to do more Minnesotans about your stories around sexuality and disability or anything related to disability generally. I want to do more Minnesotans, so pop that in there for us, and let's get some Minnesotans out there. You'll get a shout-out on the air, and uh, you'll get to hear your story wildly speculated about as you share it with the world thanks so um submit those stories yeah about your sexy times about your time that somebody broke up with you time somebody said something super ableist in bed great sexual times as a disabled person whatever you want send them in and we'll make a thing out of it we'll do a minnesota of it for you so yeah, the show is for you too, friends. It's for you too. Also, if you're not disabled and you had a query and you want to write in about it and you want to learn something and you want me to talk about things or teach you something, send in a Minnesota about that. I'd love to give you advice and pointers. If you're not disabled and you want to learn more about sex and disability, I can do that for you. So, disabilityafterdark@gmail.com is where you can send all those things. But uh, let's get started. So, a couple of years ago, a listener sent me an email question, and it got buried in my inbox, and I was going through the inbox the other day just to see, to clear out some things and to see if anybody had written in, and I found this one from years, like two and a half years ago, that I didn't read, and I never really, I never really looked at it, and I never really got a chance to fully answer it, and I went back 
to look at it the other day, and I was like, I really should make this into an episode. This is a really important question, and one that I had never considered before. The person asked, what do you do if you want to go on a date, but you can't drive? I remember looking at the question and thinking about all the ways you could fix that problem if you weren't disabled. You could ask your parents, you could hail a cab, you could call an Uber, you could take the bus, you could call a friend with a car. There are a ton of ways you can physically fix that problem without a disability. But if you are disabled, whether we're talking physically or invisibly, this question, what do you want, what do you do if you want to go on a date but you can't drive, carries with it a lot of weight that I and a lot more weight than I think many of us realize, and I want to explore some of those issues on the show today. The very first thing I noticed when I started researching the connection between having a car and dating was how much of a status of independence that a car is to people and to prospective mates or dates, right? People are so concerned that you must own your own car and you must have one and it must be something you strive to do in your life and it's so so important it's just part of our culture think about it most people get their first licenses in north america when they're about 16 just around the same time many of us start dating here in north america the car is a symbolic manifestation of one's ability to grow up one's ability to take care of themselves and one's ability to be a full-fledged adult because 40% of people with disabilities in the United States don't or can't drive, that puts us at a further disadvantage and reinforces the ideas about us and our disabilities. I didn't get a car when I was 16 and I remember being in high school watching all my other friends learn how to drive and I remember feeling very left out of this like important rite of passage that I didn't get to experience and as a man as a queer, disabled man, I felt like if I could have a car, it would make me seem less feminine, less gay, less like of a target to be made fun of, which I never was really, but I really wanted to have it. I wanted to drive, and I've always kind of resigned myself to the fact that I couldn't drive, but I do remember feeling sad about not having my license at 16. We see it in our movies linked to growing up and having sex and being sexual and becoming a man or becoming a woman or becoming just a full-fledged adult and, and having, having responsibility and becoming a person. And it's, I really wish they had teen movies about sex and disability where somebody was, you know, getting their first chance to be approved for paratransit or showing the realities of trying to use paratransit on a date at 16 or stuff like that. Where where are those movies and where's that rite of passage? Because I remember getting my first like paratransit pass. That was a big deal for me. That was something that I celebrated but no one else understood. But it was a big deal for me. And I feel like that's something we should also see in the movies because that, that gave me a lot of freedom then. In my notes, I also put that why don't we have calendars of sexy people washing paratransit buses or paratransit cabs? Like, you know how there's, like, pictures of hot girls in bikinis, like, with soaps and suds or hot dudes with soaps and suds washing cars or whatever? Why can't we have the same thing with, like, sexy disabled people in, like, bikinis or 
or shirtless washing a, a paratransit cab. I would love that so much. Or pick the hottest paratransit driver drivers out there. And you know who you are. There's some real sexy paratransit drivers out there. Pick the hottest paratransit driver and make them do a pinup calendar for disabled people. I think that would be such a great opportunity. But anyway, what I'm saying is, where are those and why isn't that part of our culture too? I found a bunch of articles that suggested that if you don't have a car or you can't drive, you simply expect someone to be your chauffeur. You are lazy, you are not worth it, you're not a grown-up, you're not a real person. I saw this thing, I'm going to try to find the soundbite and put it in here hopefully, and if I don't, sorry, but I'm going to try. I saw this thing from some talk show where these women were around a table, kind of like The View, but it was like The View, it was not The View, and they were like, well, if he doesn't drive, he's not grown, and it was just really super problematic and I just thought there was a lot of ableism there and a ton of articles like echoed this and I just thought wow there's a whole bunch of ableism there and I you know I also kind of laughed because I am very disabled and I'm super disabled and so yeah I do expect that somebody somewhere will drive me around if I need to and if you are a non-disabled person and you're dating me chances are at some point you'll probably have to drive me around and that's okay, and I don't want to be shamed for it. I feel it's also super important to point out that even if I could physically drive, you really don't want me doing that. As a result of my cerebral palsy, I have the worst, most horrible spatial awareness issues to contend with, which means I have really shitty depth perception, I have no idea about directions, and... If I was lucky enough to be able to get into a car and drive to your house and actually pick you up for a date, we'd probably end up getting lost and just driving around all night, which, you know, might make for a great date night all by itself, maybe, but it could also lead to a lot of problems later when I crash the car. This is also assuming that the disabled person doesn't have, if I was to say drive you for instance, this is assuming that the disabled person driving doesn't have a spastic reflex thing, seizure disorders, or other, or other multi-layered dis disabilities that might make the act of driving really truly unsafe. For instance, if I hear a loud noise anywhere, even if, I, even if I'm just sitting still, I jump like five feet out of my wheelchair. So just imagine if the radio came on and I jumped and crashed the car. I don't know if that would make for a good date night. It might make for a good story to tell people how we met. We could be like, no, honey, you go. No, you tell the story. No, all right, all right. So I met Andrew one night, and he came to pick me up in his car, and then we were driving, and he had a spasm, and he almost killed us. But now we love each other so much. That could make for a really cool story, for sure. One of the other things that I find super ableist when I'm trying to set up dates or even just set up transportation for hookups or talk to people about stuff and the realities of things is that if you're dealing with a non-disabled person, eventually they'll say things like, or they'll say this all the time. They always say this one thing. They say, so, uh, like, how do you get around? And this, in my opinion, is such a coded question. It may come off as a rather innocuous ask at first, and there may be a good intent behind it usually, and there usually is, but it also kind of reads like the following. To a disabled person, this question also has a bunch of layers, and they are this. It reads like, do you get out of your house? Do you go places? 
Are you independent enough for me to spend time with you? If you're interested in spending time with a disabled person and you are not disabled, as you're getting to know them, please don't ask this question. Don't ask it. Just don't, do not let this question become part of your repertoire. Please, please don't do it. If a disabled person wants to tell you how they get around, they will let you know and they'll make it very clear for you by talking about paratransit services, by talking about their accessible van, by talking about all these things. They'll let you know how they get around without you needing to ask that. So please, don't ask that question. Let them tell you how they get around when they're ready. Because there may be, they may have hold some shame around that stuff and it may be a really tough conversation because as I've mentioned that it's so linked to independence that maybe I don't want to tell you that I need to my parents to drive me around maybe I don't want to tell you that I need paratransit maybe I don't want to share that with you right away because I want you to still see me as viable and some of these transportation options that we'll talk about don't show that that sexy independence side as much and so it can be really shameful to share these things so let me come to you as a disabled person when I'm ready to share my transit needs with you. That also goes for the question, why don't you just drive? Just drive. Just like get a car and drive, figure it out, Andrew. Just get a car and drive. Just drive. There's so much ableism in that question, especially for people with non-visible disabilities who may suffer from, oh no, I said suffer, that's wrong, who may live with, I'm sorry, I'll I'm going to change that right now because I didn't mean to say it that way. Who may live with chronic illness and fatigue or different levels of disability, they saying, why don't you just drive is super ableist and is, is really problematic and just assumes that you're just supposed to. And it assumes, it assumes an inherent level of class and privilege that some of us don't have access to. If I share with you my transit needs as a disabled person, that's a big privilege. That's something you should be really excited about when I share with you how I get around because it means I want you to see this reality. And we talk about the things that are a privilege when you're when you're hanging out with a disabled person on this show a little bit. And um, me sharing my travel needs with you is a big deal. And so if I share that with you, you're kind of in. You're kind of one of my people. And so if... If a disabled person shares that with you, you've passed, you've made the cut. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So, we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. And we're back. I want to thank our longtime sponsor, Come As You Are, and I want to thank all of you for sending in your 
listener ads about what the show means to you, if you want to do one of those, send them over, of course, to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Just go on your phone, go in the memo app, and send me like a 20 to 30 second memo about why the show is important to you, what you like about it, maybe what you learned. If you're a non-disabled person, tell me what the show made you think about differently. That kind of stuff. I'd love to include them in our ad breaks as part of the show. But now let's get back to dating, driving, and disability right here on the show. So back to our central theme, how do you go on a date with somebody or set up a date or go or head to a date if you are disabled and you can't drive? How do you do that? And I wanted to explore some of the ways that you would go on a date if you can't drive and some of the ways you might try to do that and some of the ways that inaccessibility and ableism makes that really hard for us sometimes. So the first thing I wanted to explore was going on foot. And then I have in brackets in my notes and or with your mobility device because why do they have to use language like on foot? Why does it have to be super ableist? And that bothered me a lot that when we talk about walking or going somewhere without a car or something, we say we automatically go to on foot. Why can't we use different language like that? So if you're going to go with your mobility device or you're going to go without a car, one of the first things you might think of doing as a wheelchair user or somebody with a mobility device is using your mobility device and nothing else to go. In many ways, I love just leaving my house in the spring and summer months with just my wheelchair because it means I can just go when I want to. And it really frees me up to head to my local pub or bookstore or just explore the city in the way that I want to, and I love doing that. Of course, there are some important considerations when you're going out just in your mobility device that we should probably talk about. If you're going to head to that date just in your mobility device or with your wheelchair, it can't really be raining, snowing, or sleeting. I can't count the number of times that I've gotten caught in the weather heading home or to meet someone for coffee and I've gotten drenched and then later I got really sick and got like walking pneumonia and all these kind of like other illnesses because I went just to my mobility device and I was like oh it's a little bit of rain I'll be okay and then later I got super sick. Nobody wants you to come to a prospective date hacking and coughing or drenched in, in rainwater. Nobody wants that. Also, if you go and it's raining, your wheelchair could short out and things could happen to you. So consider that. And all those ponchos they have for the rain for wheelchair users really don't do a lot. So going just in your mobility device to go on a date when it's raining and stuff or snowing. And I've done it in the snow too. I've been stuck in the snow trying to walk to a hookups place in my wheelchair or go to a hookups place in my wheelchair rather. And that was super problematic. At one point in my university days, I walked in the snow from a bar home. And it took us three hours, and I got really, really sick, and I caught pneumonia. So if you're going to go for a hookup or a date, and you're using your mobility device, consider what the weather is first. Always check the weather first. Also, I think it's important to mention that if you are going to go just in your mobility device, you have to be able to really thoroughly and truly follow and understand directions. I say this because for myself, I have a really tough time with verbal directions and anything to do with north, south, east, west 
makes me super uncomfortable. I just don't know anything about north, south, east, west. I don't understand how they work. I know they're directional ways. I just don't know how to, I don't know, I don't know how they, I don't know. I remember when I first moved here, I went to coffee with a friend, and we were walking somewhere, and he goes, oh, do you know where where south is? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he goes, well, south is this way, and he pointed to it like I didn't know what I was doing, and I felt so much shame because I just don't understand directions. And so if you tell me, if I'm asking you directions to go to how to get to the coffee shop, and you say, go south on this street, I'm not going to know what to do. I will get very lost and very confused, and I just won't. I will probably just turn around and go home because I don't know how to do that. So if you want to go on a date on in your just your mobility device, you want to head there that way, you need to understand directions. And I, I, I say this to all of you with spatial awareness stuff who may have trouble with that. Be sure you know how to read a map and know how to go places. Because I got to tell you, I have Apple maps on my phone and I still don't understand how to get places so you have to be really well versed in the north south east west thing if any cute boys want to teach me all about north south east west using a sexy way of doing it like I don't know with your special weather vane I'm totally there for that important note also if you're using a battery-operated mobility device and you choose to go in your mobility device, make sure that your mobility device, mobility device, mobility device, mobility device, say that five times fast. Make sure your mobility device is fully charged. Make sure it's fully charged. I have been out and about in the world and simply have my wheelchair die going up or down hills. I've had my chair die in the middle of crosswalks and I had my chair die last week when a car was coming at me on the crosswalk in the rain. All those things I just told you about all at once just happened to me last week. So be very sure that your chair is charged. If you're lucky, if your chair dies out there, somebody might push you back home or to where your date is. But I've had situations where my chair was stuck and people simply walked by or walked past me without giving me a second thought. Also, if you have different levels of ambulation or walking, walking to meet your date might be tiring or troublesome if you have to consider things like your walker on the sidewalk grooves or hills or pebbles or cobblestones. All these things have to be considered at great length when you're a disabled person trying to go on foot because because of the, all the things, not to mention if you have a comorbidity of disabilities where you might have anxiety around that or things like that, you really have to consider this when thinking about going on your own or going just with you, you and your cane or your walker or your wheelchair to go somewhere. All these things have to be really thought out. The next way you, you could get to your date if you don't drive is you could ask your folks for a ride. If you're disabled and you live with your parents, either as a young person or for accessibility or care reasons, maybe you're like in your 30s and you can't find good accessible housing, so your parents have said to you like you can stay with us, which totally happens all the time, you could ask your parents to drive you and your date or to your date 
if you want them to. Now, if you do live with your folks, asking them to go, to, to, to drive you on a date can be mortifying and embarrassing, as it would be, I think, for anyone. But I think it would be more so embarrassing for us disabled folk because of our parents' often overprotective nature when we approach dating. So many times our parents want to protect us from the outside world, and asking them to drive us on a date might make those overprotective parents' feelings go into overdrive. I think it might be difficult for our dates to see us as independent and socially viable if we were to be like, oh yeah, my mom dropped me off. If you're like in your mid-twenties and you're like, hey, my mom dropped me off to the date, thanks. There's this like societal problem with the idea that you're still with your parents and so because so many disabled people do, how do you... How are you still seen as somebody who's socially and sexually viable if you're living with your folks? There is something to be said, though. If the person that you're on a date with is maybe kind of off or something isn't going right, your parents can detect that probably a lot sooner than you could. And I only say that because when we as disabled people want someone to like us or want to be seen as as you know as sexy and viable sometimes we don't or I at least I'll speak for myself I always don't use the greatest judgment so maybe asking my parents to drive me there when I was younger fuck if if I'd had my mom when I was in my 20s driving to my dates I probably wouldn't have had some of the shitty sexual experiences I'd had because my mom would have been like he's a creeper don't do that so there is there might be a caveat of goodness there because your parents can can maybe tell you if this person is maybe being an ableist twat bag and don't go on a date with them. How do you go on a date when you're disabled and you don't drive? Another way you could do that is you could call a cab. You might think that going to meet a date in a cab is a simple option. We see this in the movies all the time and in our media where people just hail a cab and go places. And if you walk down any street, just about anywhere, you'll see a cab. Usually, though, you don't see a lot of cabs for disabled people on the road. You might see one or two here and there on the off chance. And depending on where you live, the city or town you live in can have several cabs or just a few built for disabled people. Here in Toronto, we've got about five or six cab companies that offer services to wheelchair users and mobility users. But dependent on the time of day and availability, you might be waiting anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half for an accessible vehicle. Which is a big long time if you want to just go for coffee. That's a long time to wait. Not to mention if you have spatial awareness and directional issues like I do, you and the driver can easily get lost. Even if the driver has GPS. I can't even count the number of times I've gone into a cab and the driver said, okay, where are we going and how do we get there? And I'll, I'll have to be like, oh, and the driver will say like, hey, do you want to take this route or this route? And I'll be like, I, sure. And you don't want to seem, you don't want to come off as, I think, quote unquote, stupid, which I know is a totally ableist term. You don't want to come off as stupid. So I'll, if the driver gives me a direction that I have no idea, I'll go, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Yep. Sure. No problem. I don't want the driver to think I'm dumb or less than or can be taken advantage of, so I'll just agree with him, which is maybe not the best way to do it, but that's what I do sometimes. I also find when you take cabs that the drivers, if they know you don't know where you're going, they can take longer routes 
and try to get more money out of you. This happens quite a lot, and this happened to me a bunch of times. They'll take back ways, they'll go special shortcuts that are actually longer, and they'll try to rack up the price for you, which really sucks. It would really suck if you're trying to go on a date and you end up spending a $25 cab for a first date with somebody or to try to go meet somebody. I've also had it where the driver finds out that I'm wanting to go to a queer establishment and won't let me get out there. I had a driver once in college. I went to go to a bar night somewhere and he noticed two men on the street holding hands and kissing and was like, oh no, I can't let you out here. And I was like, um, what do you mean you can't? This is where I'm going. You have to let me out. And he was like, no, I'm going to take you over here. So he drove the cab to the next closest place and was like, here's where you'll go. And I was like, but I, so I, I got off there and I walked to back to the bar where I was going, but I was like, wow, that's really, like, wow. So you may encounter somebody who doesn't agree with where you're going and have to, you have to have that whole discussion. And because you may be a wheelchair user or a, a mobility device user, if you don't let them off where they want to let you off, you can be trapped in there. It may just so happen that if you take a, a cab, an accessible cab, and you are a wheelchair user, the driver may not know how to use the tie-downs on the accessible cab, which has happened to me a bunch of times too, and this could put your safety at risk as you try to make it to your date. Nobody wants to show up to their date with their head all banged up. That's not exactly the sexiest look. So when you get into a cab, make sure you continually tell the driver that if you're using a mobility device, like a walker or a wheelchair or something that's going to move if there was like if, if they break fast or something, make sure you tell the driver to put the tie-downs on your mobility device, whatever it is, because you can get banged up that way. And it's happened to me where I've, I've cut my arm on the ramps. I've, they've stopped too fast and I've hurt myself. Things have happened. So nobody wants to head to their first date with a big gash on their head. Some cities also only have one or two cabs. Not cab services, one or two cabs at all that service disabled people. I'm looking at you, San Diego. So getting a disabled cab can be really option. Can be a really difficult option rather. Some cab companies require you to make bookings twenty four hours to forty eight hours in advance, and this can really take away any ideas of like, I'm just gonna hop in a cab and be over there. It takes away the idea of spontaneity or freedom if you wanted to go on an impromptu date with somebody or hook up with somebody it really takes that away there have also been incidents where drivers of accessible taxi cabs have tried to sexually assault disabled passengers on their way to appointments or dates this has happened to people that i know and is all too common so just when you're getting into a cab with a driver, no matter how nice they are to you, just be very aware of your surroundings because that shit happens all the time and nobody deserves to be sexually assaulted when they're trying to access accessible cabs. It's just not right and it happens all too frequently. One of the other solutions if you want to go on a date and you're disabled and you can't drive is you might consider rideshare services like Uber or Lyft. One of the ways we get around today is with rideshare services like Uber or Lyft. And the first consideration that I would think about if you want to use those services as a disabled person 
And if you're in a city that actually offers Uber services that are accessible, which is a big rarity, by the way, you might want to consider that many of these services are only used if you have a credit card. And if you are a disabled person, this may not be an option for you if you are on a limited income and don't have access to a credit card. That just speaks to, an, again, an, another, a level of ableism and privilege here, financial ableism, all about like credit and all that stuff. We need to look at other ways that Uber and Lyft can be accessed if you don't have a credit card. They need to figure that out because so many people with disabilities simply can't access credit the way that other people do. And these services need to be available for them too should they want to should they want to have transportation at their fingertips like everyone else. Also, if you don't have access to a smartphone, these services don't work. You can't just go on the computer and go to uber.com and call for a car. You have to have the app. So if you don't have access to a smartphone, then this won't work for you. And, and some of us with disabilities simply don't have access to a smartphone, either for accessibility reasons or for cost reasons or whatever it is. They're not accessible to us. So these services need to consider desktop options as well. They need to look at accessibility from a whole other standpoint, not just having accessible vehicles, but accessible ways of getting, of accessing the service. I think that's really crucial. And I don't think that's a piece that, that any of them have really truly considered thoroughly enough, and they should be hiring disabled experts to help them with that. In doing research for this piece and this, this part of the episode, I found a ton of stories of people booking an accessible Uber or Lyft only to have them cancel when the driver pulled up and noticed the person had a disability. So they would book the ride, they'd say yes, they'd say I want Uber Wave at this location at this time, they'd click on their app, they'd do all the things. The, the car would come, the guy would look at the car, notice the person had a service dog or a cane or a wheelchair, and simply drive away. The, some of the stories said that the driver would actually peel away as fast as they could to having... as fa- They would peel away as fast as they could to avoid having to help this person get in the car. Or the person would explain their disability to the Uber driver and... They would say, oh, no, I can't help you. I got to go. How embarrassing and demeaning would it have to be for you to be on your way to a date to go meet somebody or to go meet a hookup and to have to call them and say, and have to say, hey, I can't be there because my Uber and Lyft won't pick me up after you've done everything possible to convince them that you are sexually viable, that you are independent, that you can totally do this, no problem. You then have to call your date and say, can we reschedule because my Uber and Lyft is super ableist and I can't get there. How completely embarrassing and demeaning is that? And that happens surely all the time. There have been reports of many cities not having enough wheelchair access wheelchair accessible vehicles to accommodate this service. So many cities all over the US and Canada simply don't have enough wheelchair vehicles to make UberWave possible for them. According to an article on The Verge published in 2018, in New York City there was a failure to find accessible vehicles 70% of the time. Whoa, 
So what I read was somebody would click on Uber Wave, they'd say yes, they would accept, and they would send you a regular cab or a regular car. How, how, again, not that, how, what is the point? And sometimes with these services, when, when the ride is accepted, your card is charged already. So that can be super problematic and super ableist. So like, why isn't there more of this? Uber also got a lawsuit filed against them for lack of vehicles in both San Francisco and Almeda County in California in 2018 and other places across America are following suit. Uber just hired disabled people to help you make your service run better. I promise you, we will help you and you would not have to have these lawsuits anymore. I can help, somebody like me can help you make your service run that much better. I had an Uber driver once. Uh, I called an Uber and they came to pick me up from somewhere. And he was like, he came. He saw my chair and he was like, oh no, that chair's not going to fit in here. I can't drive you. And he literally just drove away. Didn't give me an option to rebook. Didn't call anybody. Just said bye and peeled away. So, and also the Uber vehicles are not big enough to fit more than one chair of any kind or a power chair of any kind. So if you are two disabled people and you want to go on a date and you want to call an Uber together and you're two disabled people who use wheelchairs or one with a mobility device like a wheelchair and one with a mobility device like say a walker you can't go together there's no way so uber needs to think about that for sure so if you can't take an uber and and using a mobility device on its own to get your date is troublesome for you you might want to consider good old trusty paratransit now, depending on where you live, these are usually regional, provincial, or state-funded door-to-door services that help disabled people get where they need to go. On its face, these services sound like they're amazing and they're great and they're really practical and they're awesome because they give disabled people the option to gain independence and freedom to go where they want when they want, right? Or at least it sounds like that. So basically, these services are literally door-to-door services where a bus will come to your house pick you up, take you to your place, come back two hours later, pick you up and take you home. That's what these services are billed as. And this sounds great when you're a disabled person and you want to get around. This sounds like a great opportunity until you start looking at how they actually run. If you wanted to go on a date as a disabled person, you would think you could just easily book one of these services to get there, easy and simple, until you start looking at some of the ridiculous logistics of these services which I'm going to get for you right now. To even be eligible for these services, many of them require that you go in for an interview with a team of people who will assess your eligibility for the service by a team of, quote, experts. I don't know who these people are, but apparently they're, they're transit experts as to whether or not you are allowed or you are disabled enough to use the service. You, as the disabled person who knows your body and knows what your needs are, you don't have the right to decide your eligibility. They do. Also, when I went for my pre-interview for the service that I'm on, it literally took me from 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. for the whole day. And I don't even remember what they asked me, but I was like, this is super ridiculous. Why is this even happening? I definitely meant to say 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. They 
picked me up from my house, drove me all the way down there, made me answer a ton of questions, and then drove me home. It took all day. It was exhausting. And then I didn't find out if I was eligible for three months, which means I couldn't even use the service that I had just interviewed for for three months until they decided I until they deemed it was appropriate for me to do so which when you're disabled and just want to go out is ridiculous the booking practices of these services can be super hard to navigate and this can vary from location to location but you might have to book the ride the day before at 5 a.m. to get a ride for the next day or like in Toronto because it's such a bigger city you might have to book your ride seven days in advance just to get the ride a week from then and if you call by phone you could be on hold for over an hour or more waiting to speak to an agent imagine you're waking up you want to go out on friday at 8 p.m so you have to call then the friday before at 8 a.m or you know between 5 and 8 a.m to get a hold of a person and all you want to do is go out for coffee with a potential mate how much work is that just to go on a date there is no room for flexibility or for spontaneity with these services. I was going to meet somebody once for coffee and they bailed as I was heading down to meet them. They said, oh, I can't. Something came up. I got to go, whatever. They probably had ableist thoughts and, and it was done, but they couldn't be there. And so I said, no problem. So I told the driver, hey, the thing you're, you're heading me to is canceled. What do we do? And the driver was like, they told me I have to bring you anyway. I have to bring you. So he brought me to this date that wasn't happening and I had to sit there and wait for the wait for the next bus to drive me home two hours later and it was super embarrassing and super demeaning and I thought horrible but that's how these services work once you book the trip you kind of have to go unless you cancel beforehand I also have I recorded some audio of the service that I use just so you can hear kind of how the booking process is supposed to work and I'll make sure to play it at the end of the episode just so you can hear kind of what you do when you try to go book a ride on the phone um, but also with a lot of these services, some of these services make you prepay, again, using a credit card, while some make you use their special cards that never work. The cards in Toronto that we are supposed to use, they're called Presto cards, and they never, ever, never, ever work, And which is fine because sometimes you don't pay, but sometimes they will make you find other ways to pay, and it's like, well, this is not accessible at all. Um, and so that really sucks. Also... These services don't really do door-to-door -door anymore. A lot of them don't do door-to-door. -door -door. They make you use conventional transit as part of your trip. So what will happen is uh, a paratransit bus will pick you up from your house and drop you off at a bus station. And then you have to take the bus from this station to this station. And then another bus will pick you up at some point, which tacks on a whole bunch of time onto your trip. That's like, oh, fuck, I just wanted to go on a two-hour date. Why is it taking me two hours to get there? Because of these ridiculous services that don't work. This can be confusing and difficult, adding way too much time to get to and from one place for a date or for sex or for anything else. Nobody wants to do that, so you're just like, fuck it, I won't go on this date. It's too much work. Many of these services, unfortunately, are not subsidized by the municipal governments or the provincial governments or the state governments. They're not subsidized, a lot of them. And they can be anywhere from $3.25 per ride to 7 or $8. I saw one that was actually $14 per ride, 
which is like, whoa, and that's supposed to be the paratransit service. For many disabled people on low income, $14 per way for transit plus food and drink or for a coffee or something is super expensive. And I just don't want to pay that, so maybe I won't go on this date. Some of the services stop running at 10 p.m. or 12 a.m., which means that any late night dating isn't possible and or getting stranded without a ride is a real, true, and honest possibility. Ever been sitting in a coffee shop until 3 a.m. because you missed both your paratransit rides and you're trying to find a way home? This has totally happened to me a bunch of times, and we seriously need a disabled rom-com where there are two disabled people who both get stranded at the stop and are waiting for a ride, and they fall in love, or they fuck around. We need a rom-com that starts and ends that way. Maybe that's the new You've Got Mail? Like, did you get stranded? That could be a totally new comedic rom-com genre that we haven't thought of before. So, the vehicles they use for paratransit are not exactly the sexiest and most sleekest things. They're like big white truck buses that really just scream, this is for a disabled person. Like, again, that's why I want to see sexy paratransit drivers, like, washing down the cars in their skivvies, because we need to make these things sexy. And I wish you could say, when you're booking one of these rides, like, hey, I'm taking this ride to go on a date with somebody. Could you give me, like, the sexy party bus version of that? I'd love to see that. There should totally be an option in paratransit for if you're taking somebody on a date. The car could have, like, some, some like, If you listen to the show, you know my favorite song is George Michael, Careless Whisper. But the car, the, the transit cab could have, like, sexy undertones happening. The driver could be in, like, a nice coat and suit. The driver could be all about taking you to a date and sheltering you with a little bit of class, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, in terms of safety, I did also find a number of stories where disabled people have been assaulted or harassed on these services by the bus driver. They've been sexually abused, sexually assaulted, and sometimes murdered by the driver. So... These services aren't always the safest places either. So just, again, be very vigilant when you're using all these services. Be very, very, be very sure of who you're, of who is driving you. Ask for their ID, ask for them to, you know, just, just, just be careful when you're doing that. Not, not to scare you, but this is the reality of some of the stuff that I saw when I was doing research. So just, just, just have your wits about you. If none of the above options are an option for you, you might just want to hop on the bus and head downtown for your date on conventional transit, just like so many others do, right? But as a wheelchair user or somebody with invisible disabilities or a different level of mobility, this form of transit can oftentimes be the most inaccessible of them all. When I typed in conventional transit and accessibility, Almost every city in the world with a subway system or dedicated bus system had articles about inaccessibility and disability in them. New York, Toronto, Paris, Bangladesh. Subway stops that are meant to be, quote, accessible often are often down or not working, and many are never ever updated or fixed. 
I did a I did a kind of a self study a couple years ago, and I discovered that only twenty four percent of Toronto subway stations are actually accessible for wheelchair users with the elevators and all those things. And that's really sad. That's just that needs to be way more. And in in Ontario here, in Toronto, we're supposed to be accessible by 2025. And anyone who lives here knows that's a complete fucking joke because that's never gonna happen. But we're supposed to be. And one of the mandates is is transportation accessibility, and that's just I mean it's not happening here. So I'm sure it's not happening around the world either. Imagine getting stuck in an elevator on the subway on the way to your date and you're just stuck there and you can't move and the elevator doesn't work and you can't get up or down and you can't move and you're stuck there or it, or you can't use the elevator at all and you're stuck underground. What do you do? Your date's there waiting for you or somebody's waiting for you or you're trying to get there and you can't get there. What do you do? Oftentimes, even when the subway is quote accessible, if you can even if you're lucky enough to get on the subway, people don't give up their seats for you. This happens all the time. There's in Toronto on the TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission, there are blue seats that if you're disabled, people are supposed to move for you and and let you use them. But oftentimes they don't, and this happens a lot on buses too. And if you use the subway, Sometimes the gap between the subway car and the platform can be really big and you can try to get up there or down there with your wheelchair and fall. And this has happened to me a few times where I've almost fallen headfirst onto the subway tracks because the gap wasn't level. And falling on the tracks and almost dying is not necessarily a sexy first date story unless you want to jump on the tracks and try to save my life and lift up my wheelchair. So if you want to do that up for our first date, sure. But otherwise, not so much. Many of the ramps on the buses, for instance, if you take a regular conventional bus, many of the ramps on the buses don't work for wheelchair users. They can't, oftentimes they break down, the driver doesn't know how to use them, people will not give up their accessible seats on the bus as required and all these things happen. Also, if you can get on the bus, many of the accessible spots on the bus for wheelchair users are not accessible to people in bigger or wider or motorized chairs. I'm always curious, why is everything made for small, sleek racing chairs when the majority of people who use wheelchairs are in wider, bigger chairs? There's so much ableism to unpack there about mobility, about access, all that stuff. And I never ever fit into those spots and I hate it. I also pondered what if the two, what if there are two people with two mobility devices and they want to take the bus together? Usually on conventional buses there are two wheelchair spots and if they're full, if one is full and one is empty, then the two of you can't go together. When the bus comes up, what do you do? So how do you go on a date if you're two wheelchair users together? How do you do that? And oftentimes, even with paratransit, you can't always have the two of you go together. So how do you go on a date together if you're two wheelchair users? Um, if there are wheelchair users who are, who are dating together and have solutions, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. But um, that's all I have for now for this episode on, on how to go on a date if you can't drive. I hope this... Uh, illuminate some of the challenges for you that we face trying to access transit in 
our world as disabled people. This really also focused primarily on wheelchair-using individuals. If you are a person with uh, invisible disabilities or other disabilities and you want me to do an episode about transit and dating that way, let me know. I'd love to do more of this kind of stuff. Um, but I'm going to play the paratransit recording now so you can hear what we have to go through to get things to get our transit ready and done. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed this episode and send in your things for the Minnesota disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Also, you can buy a shirt that says disabled people are hot by going to store.podcastjukebox.org and clicking on the disabled people are hot link and you can buy one there. Or you can donate t- to the cause for a disabled person to get a shirt by emailing by, by emailing me at paypal.com by going to paypal.me slash Andrew Gerza and sending me 35 to $45 so I can send a shirt out to a hot disabled person. But um, thanks for listening to the show and we'll be back next week with more Disability After Dark. Wheel-Trans Ride Line. Please listen carefully to the instructions and use your phone keypad to respond. The fourth annual Wheel-Trans 10-Year Strategy Public Meeting is happening on May 30, 2019. Customers cannot book a Family of Services trip using the Ride Line. You can make your selection at any time. For trip confirmation, including a pickup time, pickup location, vehicle type, and arrival time, or to cancel your trip, press 1. For occasional booking for the next, please enter your registration number and press the pound key. Please enter your 4 to 10 digit password and press the pound key. Please note. Please wait. You have 4 trips in the next 8 days. You have 2 trips tomorrow. You have 2 trips for the rest of the week on Tuesday. For tomorrow's trips, press 2. For trips between Tuesday and next Saturday, press 3. Alright friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is of course Andrew Gerza and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week and I love doing it and I love shining a bright light on these topics so thank you. If you want to follow my work you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in and you'll see where I've been talking, where I've been doing talks and if you want to hire me to talk you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media you can Put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at the Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com 
slash disability after dark and you can pledge one dollar a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that and i i will give you a shout out on the air and thank you for your support it would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on itunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show all about sexuality and disability something we don't talk about enough can get more traction and more people can hear about the show Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Triple Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019